0: Thank you. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3, Second Peter chapter 3. We're adjusting a little bit here this morning from my original plan, but um, good. Uh, just thinking of that last song, I uh, just uh, Sean kind of laid it out, but it doesn't directly tie into Second Peter, but it does in a lot of ways. Right. We think about the Lord Jesus Christ as King at His birth. We also think of Him as Lord. And those type of things affect what we're uh, talking about this morning. Uh, Also, the fact that He came, the Godhead, veiled in flesh, Uh, veiled in flesh impacts uh, the verses we have this morning. So hopefully you've turned with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 and then 8 through 14. We are focused on 8 through 14 this morning, but I, I wanted to go back and read verses 1 through 4. And then I will be turning to, to Revelation chapter 6 to read some verses there as well. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 verse 1. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles, and of the, Lord and of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they, they were from the beginning of creation. Skipping to verse 8. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found in him by him in peace without spot and blameness. I'm going to skip the part in Revelation uh, here this morning just for the sake of time. Chapter 3, again, starts us with this this call for the believers to waken up. Actually, it's not the believers this time, it's beloved, those loved ones. He calls them to wake up, wake up their minds to the truth that is in God's word. And it's a reminder back to chapter 1, verse 13, where he, asked, he told them to be awakened as well. So now Peter is re-reminding his uh, listeners here to be awakened. Too often, we become complacent where we're at as we go through life. Become distracted by what's around us. And so Peter has to say, this is not the perspective we want. Waken up, look, listen, see what's here. And so he he asks them to come out of their slumber. Uh, Today, uh, if you... I have a couple, maybe not titles, but I thought of Sesame Street. Today's lesson is brought to you by the letter F. Um, The other thought I had on this was today is the only time you'll probably hear the teacher say you can get an F today. So um, F for not failure. But here is a, a small outline of where we're going this morning. First, we're going to talk about faithfulness, specifically God's faithfulness to his plan to his promises and to his people. Then we're going to talk about the second F, the future, what is coming, the day of the Lord, the judgment, and then our response to that. And then lastly our focus, looking for, looking for the completed plan and the ceaseless future that is there for us this morning. Just some questions that I asked myself as I was preparing Uh, For second, Peter. So I wrote down a series of questions. So over this passage, just some thoughts, maybe questions you had, too. Uh, (laughs) These are questions that I asked for for verses eight through 14. What is meant by the Lord's one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. In verse nine, what promise is Peter referring to? Also in verse nine. If God is not willing that any should perish, why do some have to perish? Verse 10, what is the day of the Lord? Verse 11, what does Peter mean by holy conduct? Also, verse 11, why do we care about holy conduct or godliness if we are saved by grace? Verse 12, why do we hasten, how do we hasten the coming of the Lord? So these are just some some thoughts as we we go through these verses or questions that hopefully I will uh, answer as we as we go through here. Um, but there are questions that I wrote down and so they were in my thoughts here this morning. Uh, let's uh, pray and ask the Lord for help. Father, we are. We come to you Uh I ask you for help in teaching your word. It's your word. It's your thoughts here that that Peter penned down. Nothing that was his own, but it is purely your word, the word of God, as we thought about in chapter one. It is truth. And so help us as we uh, think about this truth, that we think about what it means for us, that we would have hearts that would be open to listen to the truth, uh, hearts that are open to respond and to react to what you're you're telling us, Father. I also pray for the the children next door as um, they're being taught in Sunday school. Pray for them that uh, for the the lessons they are learning. Um, and pray for their spiritual growth through them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we're going to talk about uh, faithfulness. Uh, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2 Peter chapter 3. I'll reread them. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, As some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. My first point of the faithfulness and specifically faithfulness of God is to his plan. And maybe I should define faithfulness as I'm thinking about it this way. Faithfulness is doing what you say, doing what you say. And that's what I there may be other definitions, but that's the definition that I'm using here this morning. So the first one is the faithfulness to his plan. As we look, we see that time is different for God. A lot of times we think that time or there's a change in our philosophy here, that time is our most precious commodity. People are considering time to be more important than wealth and William Penn says this he says time is what we want most but what we use worst time is what we want most but we use worst but from God's perspective is completely different you got to think of who God is he is the author of time you got to think he is outside of time He created time. We read in the Bible that it's in the beginning God created. So it's in the beginning, the beginning of time. And then if you that's from Genesis 1, 1. And then if you go to Revelation 20, you see what's at the end of time. Now, there's no verse that says at the end of time, this is what it is. But uh, in Matthew chapter 13, there are several verses that talk about the kingdom and they refer to at the end of the age. And if you compare those from Matthew 13, uh, specifically verses 37 through 43 and 47 through 50, those two uh, parables that Jesus gives to Revelation 20, you can see he's referring to the same thing. The end of the age, the end of time. In order to be the author of time, he has to be outside of time, right? He has to be uh, greater than time. And he can see time in its full spectrum. So it shouldn't surprise us that he has a different perspective on time. And actually, I was thinking about this this morning. There are some of us in this room that also have a different perspective of time or some who have left the room to some who left the room. I'm a very old person, specifically my children to others in this room. I'm a very young man. So. There is a difference in our perspective of time, even amongst ourselves, for how long or short we've lived. So it shouldn't surprise us that as an infinite God who is outside of time, who has lived forever. That he has a different perspective of time that for him, a thousand years seems like a day. And so. I think that's what Peter's getting at is God's perspective of time is different than ours. But because he has a different perspective of ours, right, because he's outside of time, he can see the complete picture from beginning to end. And he can execute his plan. And he is executing his plan. And so at just the right time, in just the right way, he can intervene. Romans 5: six says this: "For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So God is faithful to his plan because he sees the whole plan, and because he's the author of time, he can and act and work within that time frame. And he acts perfectly. He remains faithful to his plan. That he had. It's a plan that the Bible says was made before time began. <clears throat> he's not just faithful to his plan, he's faithful to his promise. And what promise is Peter uh, t- referring to in verse 9? Well, you can see from verse 4 that it's this promise of his coming. There are those who showed doubt in the promise of his coming and said, He is not coming again. Turn with me to to John 14, John chapter 14, and we'll look at this promise that Jesus gives. John chapter 14, and I'll, I'll just read the first three verses of it. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says this, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You see from this promise that Jesus did not just say that he would come again. He kind of has a, a three-fold promise here. One, that he will prepare a place for us, that we will have a heavenly home. He will come again, that we've just thought about. That's the only part that they are saying, that he would not return. But then the third promise, he will receive us. So it's not just that he'll come again, but that he will accept us and receive us. And he will take us with him to be with him. So the promise of his coming doesn't just bring hope that he will return but there it goes beyond that that there'll be a heavenly place for those who believe in him and he will take them back to that place that he has prepared to be with them So he's faithful to his plan he's faithful to his promise he's faithful to his people <clears throat> I was thinking of this phrase leave no man behind right it's used by our military forces. And um, I, I, I Google this and says the interpretation of the phrase applies to the treatment and extraction of seriously, wo- those seriously wounded, the recovery of the body of military members killed in action, and the attempt to rescue or tr- rescue or trade for prisoners of war. So let's just take a second to think about that those phrases or that phrase in relation to what Jesus Christ has done for us. The treatment of those who are wounded. Isaiah 61, verse 1, the beginning of that verse says, and this is speaking of the Lord Jesus, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, that's Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted. What more serious wound can there be than a broken heart? We think of serious wounds as physical in nature. But I can tell you the wounds that are more difficult to heal are those that are emotional. But here it says he heals the broken hearted. Secondly, the extraction of those who are seriously wounded we 've already read from John fourteen that he will come and take us to himself, so there is this this thought that we are being being extracted he's He's coming to take us away um, recovery a body of of members killed ephesians two one through seven just to paraphrase it it's a, just the thoughts in there actually let me read it ephesians. 2, 1 through 7 because this is a great passage and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins and when she watch, once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and we by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceedingly riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The recovery of body members killed, what greater recovery of a dead body than to make it alive again? But yet, that was what the Lord Jesus has done for us. He has recovered us and made us alive when we were dead in our trespasses and sins then lastly, there is an attempt to rescue or trade for prisoners of war. Back to Isaiah 61, the second part of verse 1 reads this, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Not an attempt, but a successful mission where we are freed. So when we think about this, There's no man left behind. But I guess I want to pay particular attention of the delay. His long suffering towards us is not willing that any should perish, but that all, all should come to repentance. Now, I guess you have to think of that thought like you have to believe that There's going to be a punishment that there's going to be that that there will be those who perish. And so you hear out in the world that, well, God would God would not administer wrath if he's a God of love. Right. If he's a God of love, he won't he won't administer wrath. I would argue that if if God does not administer justice, he cannot be a God of love. Because if God will not judge wrong, what type of God would He be? God would either have to be unholy or unjust to not judge wrong deeds. Indifferent to mankind, not really caring, or inconsistent with who He is. None of those gods seem very loving to me. If He is unholy, How do I know God is doing what is best for me? How do I know he cares for me? If he's unjust, how do I know he will do what's right for me? If he is indifferent, why should I care in return? Because he doesn't care at all. If he's inconsistent, how do I know what he will do? God's wrath to come is a demonstration of his character, that he is holy he is just and he is consistent with his nature malachi 3 6 for it says this god is saying of himself for i the lord do not change therefore O children of jacob you are not consumed the writer of hebrews puts it this way jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever now a loving god is not is also one that doesn't just say, here's the judgment that administers it. He provides a way of escape from the wrath to come. And God has provided that way of escape through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God will be fully justified in administering punishment immediately on all of us for sin. But in his long suffering, he waits. And we see from Second Peter chapter 2 that his justice is perfect, right? He knows how to administer justice and pull the righteous out and bring wrath or judgment on the ungodly. Here we see that God is patient, wanting all. I want you to know that phrase, see that phrase, all to come to repentance and accept his righteousness. Now, just because God is unwilling that any should perish, doesn't mean that some will not. Unfortunately, there will be those who reject his offer of righteousness. You see, his way of escape is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only through him because the only way we can have come to God is through his righteousness. Romans 3, 21 and 22 talks about the righteousness of God. And it says it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. And it says it's to all and on all who believe. So I want to be clear this morning that there are two groups of people, those who are waiting for the promise and those who will perish. Which group are you a part of at this time? I want you to think about that. If you are a part of those who are perishing, realize that this morning that you can, you can move to be those who are saved, who are looking for his promise and awaiting his return through faith in Jesus Christ faith in him faith in Jesus Christ and you can have the righteousness of God that's what we've all done who have accepted him it's not any of our works it's nothing I've done that I deserve God's righteousness it's all his work it's just faith in him faith that Jesus Christ as we sang is my Lord and my King In case you don't believe God's judgment is coming, Peter goes on and he talks about the future. He gives us a glimpse of what's to come. Moving on to to verses 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in, in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. First thing I think I need to explain is the day of the Lord. it's a very simple, but also a very complex concept. So I'll use some of the, I thought uh, two brothers explained it really well uh, in their commentaries. First one is uh, from Thomas Schreiner. He says this, the day of the Lord is a f- is familiar from the Old Testament, where it is off- often is used to refer to God's judgment and salvation. In the Old Testament, such days occurred in history, but ultimately, The day of the Lord points to the final day when God will definitely judge his enemies and vindicate the righteous. In the New Testament, the day of the Lord is also the day of Christ. And then from what the Bible teaches, the expression the day of the Lord is often found in the Old Testament, usually referring to a day of retribution and judgment. The books of the prophets before and after the Babylonian captivity consistently use the expression. The prophets pointed ahead in their ministry to the to the day when the Lord would reign in righteousness. Some indicate how the day begins. Others, how it continues. And how or how it ends. The New Testament confer continues with references to the day of the Lord as a day of judgment. Again, like the Old Testament Indicating how it will begin, continue, and end. So to summarize, the day of the Lord in the Bible does not refer to one, one day. It refers to time periods of judgment. Some that have already happened, as in Old Testament prophecy. Some that will happen in the future. But the thing to remember, the key takeaway is this. It is that it is God's warning that judgment judgment is coming. Just think about the description that Peter gives of this judgment. He says it will be completely unexpected. He uses the word, uh, the illustration that it comes as a thief in the night. If you think about thieves, they usually don't come when you expect them. They usually come under the cover of darkness Um and they usually look for easy places to to uh, basically do their deeds, their evil deeds and so here Peter says it will come as a thief in the night, it will come unexpectedly so he also says it will come violently. I get that from it'll pass away with great noise uh, that that thought of a great noise, the whizzing of an arrow or uh, the rushing sound of a roaring flames that happens. Um, just think about that. It's, uh, there's, a, there's a violence to that. Um, and then it'll happen completely. Look, at, it talks about the heavens, the earth, and works. Every one of these will pass away. Heavens will pass away. They'll be dissolved. They'll be on fire. The earth will be completely burned up, dissolved. Not even just the earth, the elements of it will melt. And the works that are done in it will be completely burned. It will be complete in what is destroyed. Nothing will be left out. Heavens, the earth, the elements, the works, everything. is a great and terrible day to come. This view of the future is not meant to paralyze us. For those who are for our perishing, it is meant to be a warning. Do not be ignorant of the warning signs. Do not ignore them. For us of us who are looking for the promise, the question is asked, what manner of persons ought you to be? I want you to think about that this morning. As we think about the judgment to come, Peter asks the question, what manner of person ought you to be? Look around. Everything we see here, the chair you're sitting on, they'll all be destroyed. They'll all dissolve away. Do we believe this? Do we act like we believe this? Would we act differently if we believe this? Peter just asked the question, what manner of person ought you to be? Then he emphasizes two characteristics that I don't know if I would if I was writing this, but it's through the Holy Spirit. He highlights holiness and godliness. It's not two characteristics that we hear spoken about in society or even in Christendom today a lot. God's holiness. Now, Peter... This thought of holiness is not a new concept to Peter, right? He says in 1 Peter, be holy. He's talking about God, talking to his people, be holy for I am holy. So Peter has a, already has a thought of holiness as part of the Christian life. So what is holy conduct? Uh, Vines talks about holiness. And it's we want to be careful with this concept. Because going back, it's not... I'm not gaining anything by living a holy life. I'm already saved. And so Vines talks about this. This sainthood is not an attainment. It's not an attainment of righteousness, in, in other words. It is a state in which God is in grace, calls men. Yet believers are called to sanctify themselves, cleanse themselves from all defilement, forsaking sin, living a holy manner of life and experiencing fellowship with God in His holiness. So it's a matter of living, not that we're trying to attain righteousness, because we know that's by God's grace, it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have the righteousness of God. No, this holiness is just a matter of our walk to be like our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, because He is holy. And then he says godliness. And then the two seem like they're almost the same thing. But um, Wiersbe does, a, I think, a, a great job of communicating what the difference between the two. He says this, the word godliness can be translated piety. It is the same word we met in Second Peter 1, 6 and 7. And he says the definition is to worship well. It describes a person whose life is devoted to pleasing God. It is possible to be separate from sin positionally and yet not enjoy living for God personally. Let me say that last phrase again. He says, it is possible to be separate from sin positionally and yet not enjoy living for God personally. And then the New American Commentary says this. The importance of godliness in 2 Peter is reflected in its use in chapter 1, verse 3, also in verses 6 and 7 from chapter 1. From the beginning of the letter, Peter emphasizes that God has given everything we need for life and godliness and that it is a prime Christian virtue that we should ardently pursue. It is a crime, prime Christian virtue that we should ardently pursue. And I want to think about that as Wearsby uh, defined it a person whose life is devoted to pleasing God. I want to ask you this morning have you lost your desire to please God? I hope not. But if you have, you can come to Him. And ask him for forgiveness. can repent. Remember what he's done for you. We thought about that when he left no man behind. What he's done for us is so much greater than what he asks in return. Remember his faithfulness and his ability to act perfectly. Now as he gives us this Glimpse of the future, this glimpse of the judgment to come. He then brings the present and the present in focus. Let me read verse 12 again, and I'll read it through 12 through 14. Looking for and hastening the coming day of God, for of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. We have our focus. In these three consecutive verses, Peter uses the same Greek word, and it's translated looking for or looking forward to. And has this idea of eagerly awaiting or expecting. And so that's why I talked about as we're looking, we have this focus. We're changing focus of what we're on to where Peter's trying to focus our minds and hearts. This is the thought that we eagerly expect something. We're eagerly expecting these things. And it's an easy concept for me, especially during this time, to eagerly expect something. We have probably three Advent calendars at our house that we're going, we're eagerly expecting Christmas Day. We're eagerly expecting to celebrate the day that we remember the Lord Jesus' birth. So we have that thought, are we eagerly expecting? And Peter calls us to eagerly expect two things. First, his completed work, he calls it the day of God. This is different than the day of the Lord, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. And then the the ceaseless, what I call the ceaseless kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. The completed work, the day of God is different than the day of the Lord. It signifies the completed work of God. Instead of focusing on what will happen around us, we are to focus on what is to come. And what the Bible teaches, it says this, the day of the day of God is the day of his completing the calendar with its ages of time, and now begins a state of eternity. A state of eternity. If you turn with me to Revelation 21, God's given us a a glimpse in this the state of eternity. Revelation 21, I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. It says this. And I I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. How good does the day of God sound? Sound too good to be true? (laughs) Think about it. No more death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. I think as you get older, you think a little bit more about that pain because it's a daily reminder that we live in a sin-cursed world. But even though it sounds too good to be true, notice how it ended in verse 5. Right for these words are true and faithful. I look forward to the day of God. I look forward to it. But Peter doesn't just uh, tell his readers to look forward to it, but he talks about them hastening the day of God. Hastening the day of God. And so I ask myself, am I hastening it along? Now I would say commentators are split on if we as believers have an impact on God's sovereign plan. Some think it's just a, a thought that The hastening is really our perspective of what's happening. But I would tend to agree with Warren Wiersbe. He says this. There are two extremes in ministry that we must avoid. One is the attitude that we are locked into God's sovereign plan in such a way that nothing we do will make a difference. The other extreme is to think that God cannot get anything done unless we do it. Both extremes are wrong. So I. I think there is a way that we can affect God's sovereign plan. So how could we hasten the day of God along? Well, one way he talks about God being slow because he is waiting for all to come to repentance. And The best way I can think of hastening the day of long is to share the gospel with those around us. Although repentance is the work of the Holy Spirit, you get this idea from Romans ten that you know we are part of this process. There's a series of questions here in in Romans chapter ten as it comes to salvation. Let me just read it. Uh, Romans ten, fourteen and fifteen. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is asking for people. How can they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? They don't hear. How can they believe? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how how shall they preach unless they are sent? As is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So one way we can hasten it along is to preach the word, preach the gospel to those who are perishing. Second way is prayer. Uh, We can see from many examples in the Old Testament of how God was moved by prayer. One of them is Moses from Exodus 32 where God says he's going to have wrath on a nation of Israel. And Moses implores the Lord as God. And it says, the Lord relented. Amos chapter 7, there's a couple of visions given to Amos. And he cries out to the Lord for the nation of Israel. And the Lord doesn't fulfill those visions. I always think of prayer. I think of, this is always a difficult parable for me to think about, but it's the parable from luke 18 and, it's, and the intro to that says and he jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart and it's the parable of the widow with the unjust judge but has that idea of praying always and not losing heart so we can hasten the day of god along by doing these things let's be faithful in doing them the second thing we are looking forward to is a, a ceaseless kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth. In that same passage in Revelation 21, it, it talks about John seeing the new heaven and the new earth. The focus shows our belief that Jesus will do what he says he's said he would do, that he will come again. He will fulfill his promise that he made in John 14. He will prepare a place for us. And we look forward to being in that place. A place that is a glorious place. And as we look forward to these uh, events, he talks about our, our conduct, right? We've already thought about that. We're supposed to be holy and godly. Our condition, which I'll, I'll talk a little bit here about, and then he has a, a consider in verse 15, which I'm, I'm not going to cover it at all. But I want to say, if you if you compare this verse 14 of Second Peter chapter 3 with chapter 1 verse 10, you see a lot of parallels. They both start with the word therefore. They both start with the word therefore. So they're both talking about what was done. But look in in verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, therefore, brethren. Talks about them as brethren. But in verse 14 of chapter 3, we are called beloved. We are called loved ones. We are loved ones of the Lord. I want you to know that this morning, that you are loved of the Lord. He loves us. So much that he's written in his word that name for us that we are his beloved ones, secondly, in um, second Peter, <clears throat> we have this idea of being diligent in verse in verse one and or sorry in chapter one and in chapter three both of the both of it is a call to diligence, not a call to idleness. We should be diligent about the work we have at hand. But lastly, there's a, you know, in chapter one, there's this call to to action, to make. But here in uh, chapter three, there's a call to position. There's a call of position. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. This is this is our position that we have today. We're in peace with God. We have peace with him through what Jesus Christ has done. We are seen without spot. We are seen as blameless, unblameable. So we have this position that we have. What a great uh, condition that we are in now than where we were. So let's summarize a little bit here. First, we rely on God's faithfulness to his plan, his promise, and his people. Secondly, consider the the future judgment for those who are perishing. What will you do with God's warning today? He's warning you. He's warning you that judgment is coming. I've kind of laid out already that we have a loving God, a God that loves us, loves us so much that even though judgment is coming, he's provided a way of escape through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith in him. If you don't know what that means, come and see me or one of the other elders here. We'd be glad to talk to you about this more. Very glad to talk to you so that you don't have to perish, and that you can rely on His promise. For us who are believers, as we consider the future judgment, what type of people ought we to be? What type of action should we be uh, doing? We talked about hastening the day of the Lord. And then our focus on the end to give us the right perspective through life. Life is difficult. The longer you live, the more you realize that it is difficult, that there are difficult things about it, and uh, you can be brought down very easily by it. So as we focus on the end, we can see the the glorious future that awaits us. And as the troubles are here, we can think that those troubles will not be in the future. So it should help us as we go through life and the difficulties that we face. Again, this is a great passage by Second Peter. So remember your F's, the faithfulness of God, the future judgment, and the focus on the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for just your faithfulness to who you are and your faithfulness to your character that you are a God that can be trusted. A God that can be relied on. A God who can have faith in because you've shown yourself trustworthy in the past. You've shown that you deliver those who believe on you. We didn't talk about the passage in the beginning of chapter 3, but we sh- just through the flood, you've shown your faithfulness to Noah and his family in delivering them from the judgment that you warned would come. And so you warn us again that there would be judgment, not by water, but by fire, coming in the future. And so we pray that everyone in this room, everyone that hears this, would heed that warning and find a way of escape by faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that they could put on the righteousness of God. And Father, help us as we focus not on what's around us, but focus on what is to come. Help that to guide us as we live here in the coming days, as we look to hasten and I. Uh, you coming again and bringing your eternal kingdom. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.